Hello, this is John Bowling, and thank you for listening to the Franklin First United Methodist Church podcast. I hope you enjoy this and find it encouraging and inspiring. If you'd like to check us out online, go to www.franklinfirstumc.com. Our scripture from today is from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him, and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment, because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Today we celebrate our fourth Sunday in Lent. We also consider uh, today uh, mini Easter as we continue on our journey of preparation toward Easter Sunday. It is the month of March, the time of March Madness. Well, for some of us, March Madness is a great time to shop for those, you know, extra good deals. And for others, March Madness is all about basketball. 
I do enjoy a good basketball game when I know who some of the players are. I've been watching this week, though, uh, as the scores come in, and I'm amazed at how close the games are. I mean, some of them are, you know, within one point, and that's just so stressful. <laughs> I read this week about a plaque that hangs in the University of Pennsylvania's basketball arena. It's a plaque that offers us great insight into the playing of any game. It reads, to win the game is great, to play the game is greater, but to love the game is the greatest of all. And the same is true with God. Scripture tells us there is faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. A religious leader once asked Jesus, which is the great commandment? Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, I don't know how John does this, but we'll work with it. When you think about it, though, God's love is the only reason we even exist. It's the only reason we exist. His power is the how of creation, and his love is the why. God is the God of second chances. He promises a fresh start whenever we need one. God is the God of relationships. He, his love reaches down to us so that we can know him personally. God is the God of holiness. We can be overwhelmed by his greatness. We can be drawn to his mercy and motivated to be involved in his mission in the world. God is our loving creator. We see God's creative beauty all around us. God is omnipresent. We can count on God to be with us no matter where we are because he is everywhere present at the same time. God is omniscient. God knows all things and knows everything about us and is still totally and unconditionally committed to us. God is omnipotent. God's absolute power is made available to us and is motiva motivated by his love for us. His love and justice have been fully expressed in the death of Christ on the cross. God's love is unchanging 
yet he is able to change us from the inside out. In the New Testament, there are primarily three words used to describe love. There's the romantic love, the brotherly kind of love, and then there's unconditional love or agape. Our society today is more focused on either the romantic or the brotherly kind of love. But God's love is different. It is agape, which is the purest, the deepest, and the most unconditional kind of love. The psalmist reminds us how priceless is your unfailing love. Isaiah Surely it was for my benefit that I suffered such anguish. In your love, you kept me from the pit of destruction. You have put all my sins behind your back. And then there's John. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. So how do we define God's love? Well, for the most part, human love is often a response to the conditions or circumstances that are around us. We as humans tend to love someone because they uh, please us or because they make us laugh or make us smile. God, on the other hand, loves us because that is who he is. That is his very nature. A youth minister was attending a Special Olympics where handicapped children would compete in uh, one event in particular was the 200-yard dash. All the contestants lined up and uh, the starting line and at the signal started running as fast as they could. One boy by the name of Andrew quickly took the lead and was soon about 50 yards ahead of everyone else. And as he approached the final turn, he looked back and saw that his best friend had fallen and scraped his knees. Andrew stopped dead in his tracks and looked at the finish line. Then he looked back at his friend. And people were hollering, run, Andrew, run. But he didn't. He went back and he got his friend helped him up, you know, brushed him off, and together they came across that finish line, dead last. That's what God does for us. But as they did, the crowd cheered because there are some things that are just more important than winning. 
Solomon reminds us that two are better than one. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Paul gives us a great picture of God's love found in Romans. It's in these three verses that Paul focuses on the death of Christ as the greatest expression of God's love. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, verse 6 says that we were powerless. And to be powerless means that we can't change on our own, even though we'd like to think we can sometimes. The phrase ungodly in verse 6 means that we had no desire to change in the first place. And then we're called sinners, meaning that, we, that we're desperately in need of a change that we couldn't make and we didn't want to make. So then in verse 10, we're reminded that we're enemies of God because of our powerlessness, our ungodliness, in our sinning ways, we were considered to be enemies of God. You see, sometimes you drink water and you get ice in your mouth. You see, there, there is no real reason for God to love us. You are not a naturally lovable person, and neither am I. And sin has so affected our lives that sometimes it's difficult to tell one from the other, good or bad. And so there is no reason for God to love us except this. That is who he is. God is love. And he can't help loving us even when we are his enemies. Well, I enjoy reading uh, the email update you know, that John sends out once a week. And I think it's great because it's one more way for people to stay uh, connected with one another. And I particularly like this week's quote by an unknown author. It says this, What most people need to learn in life is how to love people and use things instead of using people and loving things. And I think it's so good that I'll repeat it. What most people need to learn in life is how to love people and use things instead of using people and loving things. 
This is our scripture lesson in a nutshell. John's passage tells us to treat people better than we treat things. Are we treating people better than we treat our things? We are called to cultivate a genuine interest in others. The Apostle Paul was the same way. In Philippians, he writes, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not only look to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. In other words, be genuinely concerned about others. Well, love will always lead us to action because love requires action. There's a story about a man who was walking down the street and he passed by this used bookstore and in the window he saw a book with the title How to Hug. The title seemed interesting and being a bit of the romantic type, he went in to buy this book. Well, he was a bit disappointed after he discovered that it was the seventh volume of an encyclopedia. And this book in particular covered the subjects how, H-O-W, through hug, H-U-G, Well, everyone knows that if there's one true place on earth to experience love, this is the place. Church is the place. But so many times, people have come to church hoping to find a demonstration of love and instead only find an encyclopedia on theology. What kind of church is Franklin First? Is it a place where people can find a demonstration of God's love? Or is it only an encyclopedia of theology? Or a place where people only care about themselves? Can people see and feel God's love? People need to see and feel God's love through us. Yes, they need to hear and study scripture, but to feel it makes it real. Paul has shown us the most excellent way. Paul has shown us that people feel the love of Christ through other Christians. And the Corinthians did not understand love. I guess you could say they were looking for love in all the wrong places. This is why Paul gives us chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, 
I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we see only a reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And it is God's love that calls people to salvation. In the passage from Romans 5, the word for is used four different times. And this word for could be translated to read for the benefit of or on behalf of. When scripture says that Jesus died for you, it means that he died on your behalf, in your place, instead of you, instead of me, so that we can enjoy all of this life and be prepared to join him in eternity. I want to close this morning by reading a great passage of Scripture in the Message Translation. And I invite you to close your eyes and think about these words from chapter 8. So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? 
And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare even to point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us in the presence of God at this very moment is sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I am absolutely convinced that nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our Master, has embraced us. Amen. If you have not experienced God's great love that is found only in Christ, I invite you to do that this very day. Again, thank you for listening. This is John Bowling, pastor of Franklin First United Methodist Church in Franklin, Kentucky. Hope that you can visit with us sometime and you can find all the information about our church and how you can be involved at franklinfirstumc.com. If you'd like to financially support this ministry, that would greatly be appreciated. And again, you can find our mailing address on our website. Take care.